welcome to Karma Light Conversations. We're so happy you're joining us. Today we are in part 11 of this series on the interior castle. We're on the sixth mansion, chapters 10 and 11, which we are subtitling, Preparing to Enter the Kingly Chambers. We are using the interior castle study edition by St. Teresa of Avila, translated and prepared by Kieran Cavanaugh, OCD, second edition, and that is through ICS Publications. It is a wonderful study guide edition. Our theme for today is to um, keep pursuing the Lord, right? (laughs) And to keep your eyes on Christ. So it is with great joy that I welcome back to this Carmelite conversation, my dear sister in Carmel, Teresa Rittenhouse. Hello, Teresa. How are you? Hello, Francis. <laughs> I'm so glad you're with me today. Um, we never can take for granted that we're going to be up for this. And so I'm always grateful that the graces are given us that we can be here together. So um, we are now really deep in the interior castle in this sixth dwelling place. Teresa wrote 11 chapters on this, and we are in the last two chapters. So we will finish the sixth mansion today. And the last time we talked about um, the sixth mansion uh, in chapters seven through nine, we were talking about how the Lord, who we call the bridegroom now, continues to draw the soul, which is the bride. that's, That's all of us closer to him through the purification of the soul as well as mystical favors that may occur. And we also discussed um, the importance of keeping the humanity of Christ present in our prayer. I hope everybody's been doing that. Additionally, we focused on two very special favors that St. Teresa of Avila experienced. One was the intellectual vision of Christ's presence at her right side, and the imaginative vision of the image of Christ engraved in her memory. And learning about these favors helps us to praise our loving and merciful Lord. But Teresa also cautions us that we should never desire these favors for ourselves. And she gave us six particular points to consider in this regard. And those are very important points. But before we begin today on chapters 10 and 11, we'd like to start with an opening prayer. And we've chosen this prayer from John Paul Thomas's book called The Interior Journey Toward God. I just love this little book, um, and I think it is a great compliment for studying um, along with St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle. So I thank God that he put this little book together and these wonderful prayers. So, Teresa, would you mind leading us in this prayer, please? I would be glad to. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of perfect wisdom, you know all things and see all things. You know me through and through. You know me infinitely better than I know myself. Please open my mind to you more fully so that I will be able to know my soul as you know it. Help me to see my sin more clearly and to see the mercy that washes it away. As I do, I pray for the deepening gift of humility so that I will ever be more grateful to you in all things. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you, I trust you, I surrender my life to you. Amen. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. What a potent prayer. So, you know, grace captivates and enamors the bride-to-be. That's us, right? And these graces are the dowry that the spouse is bringing into the future spiritual marriage, which happens in the seventh mansion. And John Paul Thomas wrote in this chapter, um, on chapters 10 and 11 of the sixth mansion, he said, the highest graces, the highest of graces given come from God through a more direct encounter with the essence of God without the use of human reason or imagination. So be thinking of that. You're being exposed and enveloped in the essence of God in a very particular way. It's amazing. So St. Teresa, throughout this entire castle, but particularly in this sixth mansion, wants to teach us about these favors of God so that we may understand their characteristics and the effects they produce and how God is revealing himself more intimately to the soul in order to draw them, purify them, so that they may join him in spiritual marriage. And so today, I want us to think about this. Imagine understanding your soul with the mind of God. Now, a lot of people out there are talking about the illumination or the warning that's happening um, or that will happen. Um, They're talking about that in Catholic prophecy. Um, So what it is, is understanding your soul with the mind of God. That's what that illumination is. And it is prophesied that there will be a grace given to the whole world simultaneously that helps the soul to know themselves with the mind of God. And they go on into more detail. But I I just think it's so beautiful that already in the interior castle, we're talking about these things. And one of the graces that is given in these chapters that we're going to be discussing today is an understanding of the profound sense of sin, what what sin is. And St. Teresa proposes this experience of God as truth as a stage to approach the final dwelling place, the seventh dwelling place. Now, we always like to have some subtitles for these chapters that we're discussing So for this sixth mansion in chapter 10 and 11, to help us focus on the material we're going to cover, we have some subtitles. Teresa, would you share those with us, please? Yes. Even greater trials and greater favors. The joy and the suffering are together. The night of the spirit. Preparation to enter the kingly chambers. Fiery arrow of love, passion of God's love, ardent anguish and increasing desires, and greater agony, more earnest prayer. Thank you. I I I told I focus particularly on that ardent anguish and increasing desires. This is a soul that wants to be in union with God. He is it, the the desires are so great that they are um they could die from this 
And we're going to discuss that some more. But I wanted to touch on some scripture passages that talk about with um, dwelling in the house of the Lord. Right. Um, And this one in particular is Psalm 27, verse four through six. So help us frame this up, Teresa, by giving us this scripture passage, please. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I saw sheep. Excuse me. Let me start again. (laughs) One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. That's so beautiful. And I think it really takes to heart what we're talking about, trying to purify our souls and being open to God's purification of our souls so that we can enter into his kingly chambers. There's also another one that I focused on, you know, as I'm doing morning and evening prayer and I'm studying St. Teresa of Avila, (laughs) I'm thinking of how this is all relating. And you know how God lines things up while you're studying things that are things that are happening in your life or a sermon that you hear or whatever. And um, so one day I was it was on October 9th. I was doing morning prayer and um, this was the psalm from morning prayer it was Psalm 84, longing for God's temple. And I thought, oh, that really relates to what we're studying right now with St. Teresa's sixth mansion. So would you please proclaim that Psalm for us? I would love to. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord God of hosts. My soul is longing and yearning, is yearning for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my soul ring out their joy to God, the living God. The sparrow herself finds a home, and the swallow a nest for her brood. She lays her young by your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. They are are happy who dwell in your house, forever singing your praise. They are happy whose strength is in you, and whose hearts are are the roads to Zion. As they go through the bitter valley, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rain covers it with blessings. They walk with ever-growing strength. They will see the God of gods in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Turn your eyes, O God, our shield. Look on the face of your anointed. One day within your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. The threshold of the house of God I prefer to the dwellings of the wicked. For the Lord God is a rampart, a shield. He will give us his favor and glory. The Lord will not refuse any good to those who walk without blame. Lord God of hosts, happy the man who trusts in you. All right. So dwelling within the courts and wanting to enter the threshold of the house of God. So that the most interior chamber, that seventh mansion, that's what these two chapters are going to focus on is that 
immediate preparation to enter the seventh dwelling place. Now, we often, um, throughout the podcast, we have been associating petitions from the Our Father prayer to the interior castle. And so the petition for the sixth mansion is thy kingdom come. And we've done this many times, but there's so many different angles. Um, here we are preparing to enter the throne room. So we ask, you know, are, are we wearing our wedding garments? Are, do we have our wedding garments on? Are we, you know, getting everything ready? Um, we're talking about the sovereign kingship here. We're talking about aspects of his kingship. And as we head toward the feast of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, which happens the last Sunday of November, um, I couldn't help but think about how, as we think of this kingship, you know, how, what aspects might we consider that we haven't brought forward before? And I ran across the litany in honor of Jesus, King of all nations. And so I just wanted to go through these um, parts of this litany, um, not saying all the responses, but highlighting each of the attributes um, of the kingship of Jesus. So, Teresa, would you mind reading those for us, please? Well, I love this litany. It says, Jesus, king of all nations. The only remedy for a world so ill. Boy, don't we know that. (laughs) Exactly. We're in a state now, aren't we? Um, Even in our own, you know, America, it's, it's global. So, yes, a world so ill. Who blesses with peace those souls and nations that acknowledge you as true king. Jesus, King of all nations, who mercifully sends us your holy angels to protect us, whose chief prince is St. Michael, the archangel. Jesus, King of all nations, who teaches us that to reign is to serve. You know, Jesus was telling his apostles when he was here on earth that they serve. Just judge who will separate the wicked from the good. Jesus, King of all nations, before whom every knee shall bend, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And Jesus, King of all nations, Lamb who will shepherd us, who after having destroyed every sovereignty, authority, and power, will hand over the kingdom to your God and Father. Jesus, King of all nations, whose reign is without end. And Jesus, King of all nations, whose kindness towards us is steadfast and whose fidelity endures forever. Right. So heaven on earth. That's what we're aiming for in the seventh mansion, right? Um, We may be be living on earth, but our spirit is dwelling in the center of our soul with the Lord, the king of the universe. So that's that'll be in the seventh. So today we want to get our final preparations done. Now, our key activities in response to God, um, there are several different things. And we're just kind of generalizing these to help help us focus on our journey. So, Teresa, would you mind reading those for us? 
while continued advancement in God-centeredness away from self-centeredness, increased living of the gospel message in our daily life. You know, if we read the saints, they were walking Bibles. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Recognition that every aspect of life contains the presence and will of God and therefore the opportunity to experience him. Focused on the ultimate significance and grand design of God for all creation. Great joy in serving God in even the smallest ways. In humility and obedience, loving God by loving others. And greater ability to know the mind of Christ enables us to live more reasonably according to his divine will and his movement. And we get a greater sense of responsibility. What what is due God, right? And I almost like to think of what the Carmelite seculars, um, their motto is for the secular order of discalced Carmelites. It's to know God so that he may be known. And that's not just know about him. This is a know that means an intimate knowledge and an intimate experience an intimate loving. That's the kind of know that we're talking about, to know God so that he may be known. Okay, go ahead. Well, and the more we know him, the more we love and are charitable to others. So yes, definitely yes. how to know God and make to know him, known. him, to love him, to serve him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Constant inner joy and All we do that transcends our emotions due to awareness of God's love for us and our intense love for God. And all difficulties, sicknesses, sufferings, praises, and persecutions, all are seen as coming from the loving hand of the Father who plans it or permits it all as a way to grow and share in his divine life and in the sufferings, death, and resurrection of Christ. All right. So that kind of generalizes our um, mindset here. And now we're going to turn to the study edition of the entire castle. And in the notes, the interpretive notes found in the study edition of the entire castle, which was prepared again by Father Kieran Cavanaugh, um, Discalced Carmelite Friar. Um, He talks about chapter 10 and 11 as being a kind of waiting room. Now, when I think of waiting rooms, I'm thinking of the ER, the emergency room, or or waiting for um, the birth. (laughs) We both have had uh, new grandchildren uh, and, you know, that waiting room, waiting for the birth to happen and to hear how things are. He's talking about this waiting room is, you know, that final preparation of what we need to do and what God is going to favor us with to prepare us because we need him to prepare us. We can't do it ourselves. Uh, We need to let the Lord prepare us for that final union, that spiritual marriage, which will occur in the seventh mansion. And he's talking about that we must pass through two zones, one of light and one of fire. So tell us about this um, light and fire. Well, the first is the light of truth. And so that's discussed in chapter 10. 
And the second is the fire of love. And that was discussed in chapter 11 with the uncontainable desires so impetuous that they can put the soul in danger of death. <laughs> wow. Right. So truth and desires are the two wings with which Teresa takes flight into the mysterious region of that last dwelling place. And that was quoted from Father Kavanaugh. The truth will set you free. St. Teresa tells us in the book of her life that all the harm that comes to the world comes from its not knowing the truths of scripture and clarity. And truth, not one iota of scripture will fall short. And to enter into the seventh dwelling place, the soul must be free from every lie. So we have the light of truth and the fire of love. That's what we're talking about today with the 10th and 11th chapters of the sixth mansion. So we're going to go now directly into chapter 10 of the sixth mansion, which talks about a revelation of an attribute or a quality of God that is being revealed. And now I wanted to go to another author, um, Sister Leslie Lund, L-U-N-D. She's a discalced Carmelite hermit. And she wrote this book. It's a big, thick book. <laughs> Journey into Divine Intimacy with St. Teresa of Avila. And she has some comments about this chapter in this dwelling place, talking about the revelation of these attributes or qualities of God. Would you mind sharing those with us, Teresa? Well, she says, the understanding from the experience of being shown an attribute or quality of God is not that God has a particular quality, but that God is that quality and attribute. That God is being, God is love, God is mercy, God is beauty, God is justice, God is goodness, God is joy, God is truth. And this is it's so important, right? Yes. Um, because if you don't know God well, you might describe <laughs> him as love, mercy, beauty. But one who becomes intimate with God sees him as those attributes, not just a description of them. I think that is a very uh, keen insight into the difference that we're talking about here. And then um, she goes on to say that the experience of a quality or attribute of God is ineffable and unexplainable. And I'm thinking of when I was studying St. Mary Magdalene de, Paz de Pazzi. She had this experience of God is love. She had this ecstasy of God is love. And she just she just kept saying, God is love. God is love. I think St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart also had that similar experience of, you know, God is love. And then but they they could not explain it. And um, but they were so full of it that, you know, um, they kept saying it. And so it, it is beautiful that, you know, we have some saints here in Carmel that have uh, exemplified this besides Teresa Vavala. I mean, uh, St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi and St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart. So um, and then Sister Leslie um, Lund continues with a couple other insights here. Would you care to share those with us, please? 
while she says this favor leaves the soul in profound peace and satisfaction and the Lord should be praised for it. I love that. And aren't we always reminded that whenever the Lord steps in, we're always left with joy and peace. Exactly. As an example being shown, the quality of truth in God brings a new understanding of supernatural truth itself. And it causes the person to be diligent in walking in this truth, which is beyond ordinary, natural truth or falsehoods, just as being shown other attributes of God, bring new understandings of such qualities as love, being, beauty, mercy, and joy. So this is a deeper knowing, a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation. And then what's our response for all of that? A deeper love of love, right? God is love. And we are learning better how to love God back because he first loved us. Now we're going to go to how St. Teresa of Avila describes these favors or secrets given by a Lord to prepare the soul for entering the seventh mansion. In particular, she's going to talk about these revelations or truths through suspensions or intellectual visions. And she has several points that she makes here. So I'm going to let Teresa share those with us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, this is amazing. And this is heaven on earth. So these are astounding things that are happening. A suspension of deep secrets. The soul has an intellectual vision in which it is revealed how all things are seen in God and how he has them all in himself. This is the mind of Christ. And it is a most beneficial favor. It passes in a moment but it remains deeply engraved in the soul on the memory and causes the greatest confusion. <laughs> Remember, so like, we, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is that confusion all about? And, and you we're just, all like, so human <laughs> and these are heavenly things. <laughs> right. And you, you haven't understood this so clearly before. And so when she's saying that this happens suddenly, you know, that's an indication. And then, you know, it's something new. And so the soul is is like you're getting a new concept when when you're in school. And now the math teacher is teaching you a new concept that you haven't heard of before. And um, you might have some confusion. But then, you know, the Lord teaches us. And and here he is teaching us by revealing these secrets. Well, and there's new ways to looking at things. You know, we're learning about God ever more deeper. And remember, he is so divine, our mind can't even go there. So when our minds are expanded, think of the confusion. (laughs) (laughs) The Saint, uh, Saint Teresa gets to the point here with the secret that is revealed here. The evil of offending God is seen more clearly. Because while being in God himself, I mean being within him, we commit such great evils. Now think about that. While being within him. That's a new concept. (laughs) Yes, we, we sin in God. God is in us. 
We are in God and we sin in God. We're like that cancer cell. You know, when we sin, we're like a cancer cell that is killing the life of God within our very self, within God. Um, It's just an amazing thing. And so she gives us an analogy, a comparison here. Um, She says, to help us understand, she says, God is an immense and beautiful dwelling place or palace. Okay, so of course, she's used this for the whole interior castle. But in particular, she's addressing it here, that the palace is God himself. That's what she wants to make clear. And then I'm quoting from her. She says, within the palace itself, that is within God himself, the abominations and decent actions and evil deeds committed by us sinners take place. She's very clear there. And then she continues, quote, consider the great mercy and compassion of God in not immediately destroying us there and be extremely thankful to him and let us be ashamed to feel resentment about anything that is said or done against us. The greatest evil of the world is that God, our creator, suffers so many evil things from his creatures within his very self and that we sometimes uh, resent a word said in our absence and perhaps with no evil intention. So the greatest evil of the world, that God suffers all these evils within his very self. <laughs> and I re- I recently, this past year, went and visited Mother Cabrini's uh, shrine in Colorado, and she, there was a plaque, and she summarized what Teresa's talking about here. And the quote on the plaque was, "God is in the soul, and the soul is in God." And I'm like, "Boy, she summarized that very well. This is exactly what Teresa is talking about." Now, so that's one secret about how we are in God, and God is in us. Now, the other secret. Um, that is revealed here is about truth. So I'm going to let you take it away on that. Well, this is a beautiful secret. One understands very clearly that God alone is truth, unable to lie. God is everlasting truth. I am reminded of Pilate, how he was often questioning our Lord when during the Passion he asked, What is truth? But St. Teresa wants to dwell on this truth and not shrug it off like Pilate did. St. Teresa wondered why the Lord was so fond of this virtue of humility. And the thought suddenly came to her. It is because God is supreme truth. And to be humble is to walk in truth. For it is a very deep truth that of ourselves we have nothing good but only misery and nothingness. Whoever does not understand this walks in falsehood. The more anyone understands it, the more he pleases the supreme truth because he is walking in truth. Please God, sisters, we will be granted the favor never to leave this path of self-knowledge. Amen. Yeah, may St. Teresa of Avila intercede for us on that account. <laughs> so Absolutely. You know, I was thinking St. Therese, a little flower, also understood this teaching very well. As we can see from her famous quote, from her famous prayer, which was the act of oblation to merciful love, 
which is found in um, the her autobiography, Story of a Soul. This is the quote I wanted to focus on. In the evening of life, in the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands. For I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. All our justice is stained in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed in your own justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I just love how she phrased that. You know, she's like, all of my works are stained. And that's true, all of us. And yet, she says, I want to be clothed in your justice. She's going to borrow. She always borrows everybody's <laughs> merits, our blessed mothers, the saints. And here she says, I want to be clothed in your justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. I just love it. So we can ask. Well, and she's so confident. Yeah. You know, she's very confident and asks for it. You know, we yes. need to ask for that, too. Let's grab onto that courage and confidence. <laughs> so we have uh, Teresa and Therese both helping us out a lot here. <laughs> Absolutely. So we should always study diligently about how to walk in this truth. And ways we can do that is like have no desire that others consider us better than we are, you know, and in our works. We should attribute to God what is his and to ourselves what is our doing. And essentially what that means is all of the gifts, all of the accomplishments are God's works and all of the sins and imperfections and stains are, are our contribution. And he's so merciful. <laughs> God bless him. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your um, putting up with us and, and not giving up on us. And then, of course, um, as Teresa talks about, to be humble is to walk in truth, for it is a very deep truth of ourselves that we have nothing good but only misery and nothingness. Uh, um, we often think of Teresa telling us that. And then she says, quote, thus we shall have little esteem for this world, which is a complete lie and falsehood, and as such will not endure. And the Lord grants these favors then to give us some knowledge of how to do his will and the knowledge of his grandeurs. And that's very important for us to enter into the seventh mansion. So we need to meditate upon the liberating efficacy of this experience of truth. Truth is so foundational. And so many people, their idea of truth now is whatever I want, whatever I think. It is subjective. It is not lasting. It is um, not steadfast. Only God is truth. And so many in our society today have lost sight of truth. They've lost sight of sin. And thank God we have um, examples through our saints to help teach us. And in particular, St. Teresa focusing on this idea of truth in particular. Now we're going to go to this um, chapter 11, the final chapter of this sixth dwelling place which we've entitled Intense Desires, Ardent Anguish, and Fiery Dart of Love. Um, this favor is an affliction of extremely intense desires, the overwhelming desire for the complete union of intimate love with God. And now, thinking of love, I have to turn to Dr. John Bergsma in his book, The Word of the Lord, 
Reflections on the Sunday Mass readings for year A. I was in a Bible study uh, this past week, and he wrote this about love. And I wanted to share it because I thought he summarized it so beautifully. He says, let's discuss what it means to love God with all one's heart, soul, and mind. The heart, Greek, cardia, can be understood as the seed of the emotions or affections. So loving God with the heart means cultivating our affection and emotional attachment to him. The soul, psyche, can be understood as our spiritual nature. So loving God with one's whole soul is seeking spiritual union with him, the unitive way. Loving God with the mind, dianoia, is an intellectual endeavor, seeking to know God, to understand the truth about him, his nature, and his creation. An anti-intellectual spirituality would be a failure to love God with the mind. We can observe a rough analogy to the classic three stages of the spiritual life. The purgative, which we think of as mansions one through three, involves learning to love God with the heart versus disordered passions or desires. The illuminative, which we have talked about being the fourth mansion, and sometimes people put the fourth and the fifth together here, the illuminative, involves loving God with the mind as our minds are enlightened with the knowledge of God. And the unitive, which we've put as five, sixth, and seventh dwelling place, involves spiritual union, loving God with the soul. So I really liked how he put that all together, and I wanted to share that with you. So thank you for indulging that with me. Now we return back to what Teresa is going to teach us here in chapter 11 of the sixth mansion. And she starts off by reminding us about the butterfly. So, Teresa, talk to us about the butterfly. <laughs> this poor little butterfly. <laughs> Since it knows ever more the grandeurs of God and sees itself so distant and far from enjoying him, the desire for the Lord increases so much more. The love increases in the measure that the soul discovers how much this great God and Lord deserves to be loved. And the desires grow so much that it reaches a point of great suffering, anxious longings, tears, sighs, great impulses seem like nothing compared to this experience. All right. So now she's positioned us here. And now she's going to describe the characteristics of this desire, this great pain, that these intense desires, these anguish desires call, uh, cause us. Um, now, this is a grace, a very powerful consolation that mixes with powerful pain. So we have somebody says to me, my friend in Massachusetts, she also says, the joy and the suffering are the same, Francis. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thinking here it is. We're, it's great pain, but it's great joy to suffer this pain. Um, and this grace that God gives us, because we can accomplish this, this grace enables the soul to endure suffering for the rest of their life. And, and I know they unite it with the suffering of Christ which is redemptive suffering. So it saves souls. All right, Teresa, tell us what Teresa tells us uh, about this grace. 
Well, she does a good job trying to describe this. A blow is felt from some from elsewhere. The soul doesn't understand from where or how. The blow comes through a sudden thought or word about death's delay. Or the soul will feel pierced by a fiery arrow. It couldn't come about naturally, and it can't be resisted. It causes a sharp wound felt in the very deep and intimate part of the soul. It's a sudden flash of lightning. It reduces to dust everything it finds in this earthly nature of ours. So this is totally purifying. While the experience lasts, nothing can be remembered about our being. Instantly binds. It holds us captive. The faculties accept from anything that will help make this pain increase. The soul feels very far from God. God gives such a vivid knowledge of himself that the pain increases to a point that makes the soul begin to cry aloud. The pain is in the interior of the soul. How much more severe are the, are the feelings of the soul than those of the body? Such must be the nature of suffering of the souls in purgatory. The experience lasts only a short three to four hours, but it will leave the body very disjointed and the soul thinks she's dying. The heartbeat is slow and natural heat fails it. The body is left weaker. It doesn't feel the bodily pain because the spiritual pain is so much greater that one doesn't pay any attention to the body. Everything torments it. It feels a strange solitude because no creature provides it company. It is suspended between heaven and earth. On fire with thirst, spiritual torment and loneliness like limbo. Despite the unsurpassable torment and affliction, the soul feels the pain is precious. The soul suffers the pain will willingly. The suffering is no less than death. The pain only lasts a short while in such intensity, at most three to four hours. And only the Lord can take this pain away. Well, it's a good thing it doesn't last more than three or four hours. Um, and here, when you think about the crucifixion of our Lord, three hours on the cross, and yet, you know, from that Thursday night through Good Friday and Holy Saturday, um, the kind of sufferings that the Lord went through and then what he did to deliver souls, all of us. And I think that's the part of the graces that you're given is that you realize this is joined with Christ's suffering, and it is redemptive pain. And that he wants us to join with him in this crucifixion for the benefit of souls, particularly our own, right? But yes. also for others, because where we go, we bring all those that are in our heart. Well, Teresa does say, and I wanted to repeat this because I thought it was important, how much more severe the feelings of the soul are than those of the body. 
and she reflected that such must be the nature of suffering of souls in purgatory. So think of that, that the Lord is permitting this soul in this sixth mansion, chapter 11. She's talking about how the Lord is revealing and permitting this soul to suffer these severe feelings, experiences within the soul, which are so much more intense than what happens to the body. And that how it is like what the suffering of souls and purgatory goes through. So it's like they're suffering their purgatory on on earth. And so now when they get into the seventh mansion, when they die, they will go right to heaven because through the death, uh, the final purification will occur and they will bypass purgatory, which I hope we can all do by the grace of God, of course. But we've got to cooperate. And I know Teresa is teaching us a lot about what we can do here. She also tells us, and I like to quote her, and this is chapter 11 of the Sixth Mansion. Lord, how you afflict your lovers. And if you don't understand that, <laughs> where have you been? <laughs> because he does afflict the his lovers. However, to encourage us, she, she, Teresa goes on. But everything is small in comparison with what you give them afterward. It's natural that what is worth much costs much. So we have costly grace here. Moreover, if the suffering is to purify this soul so that it might enter the seventh dwelling place, just as those who will enter heaven must be cleansed in purgatory, it is as small as a drop of water in the sea. So she's basically saying it's a small price to pay for eternal beatitude, right? Absolutely. And of course, she wants to point out for us so that we're not stuck in just thinking about all this suffering, what the benefits are. So would you care to share with us, please, what these beneficial effects are? Well, there's no fear of trials. You're pleased to suffer this pain more and feels the pain is so precious. Great contempt for the world, more detached from creatures, greater solitude, nothing on earth satisfies it. There's a greater fear of offending God. The soul clearly knows without a doubt that only God can console and satisfy all its desires. God gives the needed strength to those called to this deeper union. We think of what Jesus said from the from um, from the Gospels. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And God will provide. The souls hang between heaven and earth, its own sense of Christ's crucifixion. And God will pay for everything all at once in the seventh mansion in spiritual marriage. So wonderful benefits. There's always rich rewards. We don't have a stingy God. He's a, a, a very giving. And it's how we respond to his grace, his favor, his purification that's important here. So two experiences, though, on this spiritual path that put a soul in danger of death. Teresa wants us to be aware of it. Uh, one is this pain of 
ardent anguish, extremely intense desires, right? And the other one, she points out, is overwhelming joy and delight. And I was thinking of um, Father Luis André, who died of joy in Garbandal, Spain, August 8th, 1961. Um, if you are familiar with the apparitions of Our Lady in Garbandal, um, they have several important things that um, this apparition addresses. And um, one of them was this miracle. And Father Luis Andre was in a car with his colleagues and he said he saw this and he was so happy and so overjoyed. He died there right then and there of joy. And so that to me was a, a, a very contemporary um, experience of somebody dying of joy. And I think, I think there are little um, saints. Maybe it was little Nellie. There was a, a little girl upon receiving Jesus in the Eucharist for the first time, died of such joy. She died on the spot at her wow. first communion. So we do have witnesses of what Teresa is teaching us here. So um, Teresa herself tells us, but we can also point to other examples. And I just thought um, that was important to point out. Now, there was a couple of extra things that we wanted to go over here. Um, I just want to remind people who are listening um, some general points about these extraordinary favors. Um, three points in particular, um, the sanctification of the soul, the light, and the charismatic effects. Can you talk to us about that? Well, the sanctification of the soul is through infused knowledge, practice of virtues, great humility, and inflamed love. And the light penetrates the soul and reveals to them supernatural realities in a direct and living way. And imprinting an image or the memory of them in the depths of the soul, it enlivens the desire for those realities and thereafter facilitates contact with them, lights up the way, revealing the summit. And the charismatic effects they produce good for one's neighbor and for the church to ensure light and strength for the fulfillment of supernatural missions and to gain the credence of others. The good of the church and the particular spiritual good of souls are harmonized in the divine plan. Right. So we need to recall the attitude of the soul toward these mystical graces. And there are, there are a couple of rules for us to remember. We we shouldn't be complacent in these favors. And like Teresa told us um, in the sixth mansion, not to desire them. Um, St. John the Cross tells us that when we reject these manifestations, and he, he means not to be uh, fixated on them, not to be attached, we need to realize that the graces, when they occur, the benefits occur. And we should not hang on to them. Um, John the Cross tells us that the soul receives the grace they, that these effects bring as soon as the manifestation occurs and avoids their dangers. And then we also remember to declare these favors to a spiritual director 
or a knowledgeable soul about the spiritual life, thus leading the soul to detachment and humility. Humility, 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 right? And and then to thank God for these favors and to thank God for these favors that you see in others or that you hear about that are occurring in others. Now, um, Adolf Tanqueri, um, a theologian, wrote this book, The Spiritual Life, which is one of my favorites, The Spiritual Life. And I wanted to quote what he said. The great mystics are unanimous in teaching that one must neither desire nor ask for these extraordinary favors. These are not necessary means to the divine union. Nay, at times they are rather obstacles owing to our evil tendencies, you know, me, us hanging on to them. St. John the Cross in particular points this out. He asserts that desire for revelations deprives faith, deprives faith of purity, develops a dangerous curiosity, which becomes a source of illusions, fills the mind with vain fancies, you know, like I'm better than everybody else because I received these, you know, and often proves the want of humility and of submission to our Lord, who through his public revelations, has given all that is needed for salvation. Since in this matter there is a great danger of illusion, we must have some rules by which to discern the true from the false. And then we have our very own Blessed Marie Eugène of the Child Jesus, a Carmelite friar, who reminds us, and I'm quoting him, extraordinary favors are not necessary for the development of sanctity. Even the highest level of sanctity, nor to the fulfillment of a mission, even the most brilliant. Neither are they a sufficient proof of holiness. God distributes them as he wills, to whom he wills, and when he wills, in the manner he wills, and as often as he wills. Loving wisdom has no other law than her own good pleasure. I think that's very important. And then there are three very important important points. So never should any of these be desired. We've heard that in those two uh, testimonies there. Um, we should desire God alone, not his gifts. Focus on the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. And then St. Teresa of Avila tells us, um, thus I hold for certain that these favors are meant to fortify our weakness, that we may be able to imitate him in his great sufferings. And boy, we've been talking about sufferings lately. These favors display the further knowledge of God's presence and his mysteries given to the soul. And never forget that there are diabolic deceptions, counterfeits, and psychopathological disorders that may account for some supernatural type activity. So keeping that in mind, we wanted to kind of summarize some key keys for growth. Um, of course, pray, 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 right? <laughs> but there are some other things that we can suggest. So I'm going to let you, Teresa, talk to us about those, please. Well, do not seek the phenomena or take pride in them or attach to them. Practice external works of charity. Trust that all works together for the good of God. Go into silence and solitude. 
do God's will in all things, in all ways. Work on balancing your life and work. Cooperate with God through obedience and service and in prayer. Be avidly discerning, <clears throat> journaling, reading and pondering the scriptures, spiritual classics. Continue with spiritual mentors and spiritual supportive communities. Suffering becomes constructive in the sense that the soul learns how to be resigned to God's will. That's so important. Able to get along with and work well with others who are not compatible with their own nature. Be able to be amiable and sensitive to others who per, whose personality traits are annoying or irritating. <clears throat> You're love able those to difficult... rise above the situation. <laughs> right. Lo learning how to love difficult people. <laughs> Absolutely. And I might be uh, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> we all are to somebody. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> um, we replace negative thoughts with positive ones. You know, always remember the glass is always half full. Is tolerant with self and others and easily forgives. Has much more discretion in their words. So remember, be careful what we say, what we think. And trust all is in God's hands. That's so key, isn't it? Even in this situation today, which we find war breaking out in so many places throughout the world. We've got it in Ukraine and with Russia. We've got it with Israel um, and Hamas and, and many other places. I might add that we don't have a lot of newsworthy uh, or news attention to. but. Um, We've got to trust that all is in God's hands. And um, I remember Therese, the little flower, saying it's confidence alone, right? Confidence in God is what is needed here. Well, of course, I can't finish this without reminding us about the battle plans uh, or the schemes of the enemy to destroy our growth in God. Now, the enemy, the evil one, he attempts to accuse us and prick us into thinking that it's through some air that this awareness of sin or absence of God is happening, saying it's our fault. Um, sometimes it is, <laughs> but there are levels of purification that are um, to help us, okay? And we need those in order to go forward, and so God provides those. But the evil one wants to have us. Um, Despair, despair, be discouraged, be divided. Boy, those D words, discouragement, despair, division. Yeah, that's very much a sign of evil. The evil one wants us to rehash old wounds over and over. Rather than let's say it, we're sorry, give it to God. Uh, healing, ask for the healing of the wounds and also for the healing of the wounds we've caused others. We've got to remember that the devil likes to counterfeit experiences of God. That's why it's so important to talk to uh, those um, who have uh, knowledge of the spiritual life. And then the devil induces us to think God is unjust and unloving because he allows some of these experiences like purifications and sufferings 
And, you know, he's allowing this war. Hmm. Where do we see God in this situation? So if you're thinking that God is unjust and unloving, you have been duped by the devil. So I just put that right out there. Now we have keys to unlock the door to paradise. I want them, don't you? <laughs> this is to prepare <laughs> us to enter that seventh dwelling place. So, Teresa, tell us what are these keys? You know, we've gone over this many times. Humility, yep. humility, humility, detachment, charity for God and neighbor, surrender to God. Do not seek the phenomena or take pride in them. And the last one, practice external works of charity. Yes, put your faith in practice right there by loving God and loving your neighbor. All right, we've covered a lot today. Um, and we are finished now with the sixth dwelling place. Next time we'll enter the seventh dwelling place. We're going to be talking about chapters one and two of the seventh dwelling place. Um, we've chosen as our closing prayer, St. Teresa of Avila's 16th soliloquy. She has several soliloquies. They're, they're kind of long, and this one is kind of long, um, but it is so appropriate to this whole sixth mansion. And it's subtitled, You Wounded My Heart. So um, I'm going to ask Teresa to lead us in this prayer and let us join in spirit with St. Teresa of Avila, whose first class relic I have with me right here today. She's shining on all of you who are listening. So um, you're getting some spiritual graces um, through her presence in her first class relic. So um, now let us get recollected and let us uh, listen and pray along with Teresa. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> oh, true God and my, my Lord, it is a great consolation for the soul wearied by the loneliness of being separated from you and to see that you are everywhere. But when the vehemence of love and the great impulses of this pain increase, there's no remedy, my God. For the intellect is disturbed and the reason is so kept from knowing the truth of your omnipresence and that it can neither understand nor know. It only knows it is separated from you and it accepts no remedy. For the heart that greatly loves receives no counsel or consolation except from the very one who wounded it because from him it hopes its pain will be cured. When you desire, Lord, you quickly heal the wounds you have caused. Prior to this, there is no hope for healing or joy except the joy of such worthwhile suffering. Oh, true love, with how much compassion, with how much gentleness, and with how much delight, and with how much favor, and with what extraordinary signs of love, you cure these wounds which with the darts of this same love you have caused. Oh, my God, and my rest from all pains, how entranced I am. How could there be human means to cure what the divine fire has made sick? Who is there who knows how deep this wound goes, or how it came about, or how so painful and delightful a torment can be mitigated 
by something so lowly as are the mean mortals can use. How right the bride of the canticles is saying, my beloved is for me and I for my beloved. For it is impossible that a love like this begin with something so lonely as my, as is my love. Well, if it is lowly, my spouse, how is it that it is not so lowly in rising from the creature to its creator? Oh, my God, why I were my beloved, you, my true love, have begun this war of love because this love doesn't seem to be anything else than a restlessness and a dereliction on the part of all the faculties and senses. For they go out into the streets and squares, entreating the daughters of Jerusalem to tell of their God. Once, Lord, this battle has begun. Who are these faculties to fight against it, if not against the one who has been made Lord of this fortress where they dwell, which is the highest part of the soul? They are driven out so that they might return to conquer their conqueror. And now, tired of seeing themselves without him, they quickly surrender and lose all their forces and fight better. And by surrendering, they will win the victory over their victor. Oh, my soul, what a wonderful battle you have waged in this pain. And how literally true is what happens here. Since my beloved is for me and I for my beloved, who will be able to separate and extinguish two fires so enkindled? It would amount to laboring in vain, for the two fires have become one. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wasn't that so beautiful and so appropriate for these last two chapters of the Sixth Dwelling Place? And to finish it with the two fires have become one. Oh, let us pray for that. Well, thank you to all of you who are on this journey with us, walking through the interior castle. As I said, we have finished the sixth dwelling place today. We pray that it's been beneficial to you and helped you. Um, we ask you to please keep us in your prayers. It has been a challenge to be able to share all this with you in a way that we thought was clear and um, that we could all relate to. Uh, I want to give special thanks to you, Teresa, my sister in Carmel. You've been helping us on this journey. Thank you so much, Teresa. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> Next time, we will enter the seventh mansion, the seventh dwelling place, to live intimately with the King of Kings. And how appropriate, since we are headed toward the celebration in November of the Feast of our Lord Jesus Christ, king of the universe i believe in december we will finish the seventh dwelling place and we'll decide then whether we're going to do a final podcast in january or not so for now we will have another one in november with the seventh dwelling place chapters one and two now if you've missed any of the episodes in this long series on the interior castle and would like to catch up you will find them at www.carmelightconversations.com. You may also leave car- comments for us. Uh, we always like hearing for, from you. It's very helpful. And we're glad to hear that 
Um, some of you are writing us and telling us that it's um, been helpful to you. Thank you so much for encouraging us and inspiring us. Meanwhile, may St. Teresa of Avila intercede for us all. And may God bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. We look forward to you joining us again. And meanwhile, keep the faith, keep your eyes on Christ, and above all, keep praying.